This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Do you find it challenging working on your collector car? Advantage Lifts has the solution for you with their selection of two and four post lifts. Advantage's two post lifts provide an unparalleled amount of versatility. Each wheel can spin freely and be worked on individually, and you'll have full access to those hard-to-reach parts of the undercarriage. And best of all, Advantage's two post lifts are ready to ship now. Get $100 off by using code TCCP for the Collector Car Podcast. Again, that's TCCP. You can find your perfect Advantage lift by calling 763-300-5730. That's 763-300-5730. And don't forget to use the promotional coupon code TCCP. CCP. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Okay, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg, and this is the record-breaking Monterey Car Week recap. So I'm going to try to do a lot right here. So now if you're not on our YouTube channel, uh, this will be on YouTube with uh, some of the pictures from all the big auction results I'm talking about. Uh, So check that out if you haven't done that before. So I'm multitasking here. Uh, I do want to give a couple updates first as far as things that are coming up or just occurred. So first off, some of the upcoming podcast episodes, I definitely want to say thanks to Johnny Lieberman. He was on last week's episode, and he gave a fun review of his Monterey Car Week. And let's see, some of the episodes that are coming up here shortly, the 2022 bull market update. So as a as a reminder, these are these are cars that I picked that I thought would grow significantly in the following 12 months. That 12 months is about up. So let's see how well I did in picking out cars that I thought would overachieve the market. Uh, Then uh, the flip side of that is I have an episode called Have Collector Cars Peaked? I have seen some slowing of trends, softening of trends, not necessarily negative per se, uh, but I did want to dig into that a little bit more. A great example is our first-gen Dodge Vipers. I mean, they've been up, I don't know, 150% the last two years or so. And, uh, you know, now they might be flat, but I mean, come on, they, they've been growing like crazy from a valuation perspective. So I'm trying to look at a bunch of those to see if those have cooled or not. Uh, then I'll review some of the fantastic finds in RM Sotheby's Ponder Collection, that auction coming up soon out of Texas. Um, I will have Rob Myers, the founder of RM Sotheby's, on here shortly. Hershey Fall Review, and then I'll dive again into Jay Leno's collection, this time looking at his American Classic cars. So if you like the American Classics uh, and want to know more about what Jay has in his garage, be sure to check that out. And one thing I'm trying to do is to have some fun with folks that are the original owners of their classic car. So I would say uh, if you're an original owner in the car, let's say at least 40 years old, uh, it's not too impressive if you're the original owner of a car that's only three years old. <laughs> but uh, I do have someone with a 1965 Shelby GT350 that will be on the podcast soon. They're actually the son of the original owner, so it's still in the family. Uh, that will be a lot of fun to talk to them about the history of the car and how that's been such an integral part of the family. Now, some of the upcoming YouTube episodes, like I said, I've been doing a big focus on this. Expect one new long, longer-length episode every Monday 
I'm trying to do daily shorts, which is under a minute uh, throughout the rest of the year if I can. That's a lot of work, as you can imagine, but I've got them scheduled through, I think, the mid-September at this point. So some of the episodes, I just posted the Sally Carrera record-breaking sale. That's the 9-11 that was auctioned off, a joint venture between Pixar and Porsche and RM Sotheby's that hit a record price. You can actually be in the audience and watch this sale occur. So go to YouTube to check that out. I have historic Le Mans race cars at Laguna Seca coming up. That should be out this Monday. A review of the Blackhawk collection will post, I'm sorry, that will post this Monday. Uh, Laguna Seca will be the Monday after that. Uh, I do a complete show field tour of Concorsio Italiano. I judged at that particular show. Great Italian cars. So I did a full walk for you so you can check it out. Uh, I also do a, a brief walk of the Quail uh, motoring event. I do kind of a recap of my Monterey Car Week experience. A lot of fun stuff. Um, let's see, what else do we do? Oh, in the future, I did stumble across a Jaguar junkyard. I thought it would be fun to show you that. I have a mega Shelby collector. He's got 45 Shelbys uh, lined up on a wall. You'll get a sneak peek of, at that. And then some classic Porsches at the Red Brick Reunion uh, here in Ohio. That uh, happened a week or two ago. And lastly, I do have some dusty barn finds I'll share with you. One I'm the most excited about, it would have to be this Ferrari I found in a field. So yes, that is correct, a Ferrari I found in the field. I did a little video, um, check that out. It will be a short, so it will be out there soon. And then it will also be part of my Monterey Week experience that will be in there as well. So. It was just an insane week in Monterey. I try to go every year. This is only my second year going, so I have a lot of stuff I still need to learn. A lot of um, behind the scenes stuff probably, but I try to pack it in. We actually went for a little bit of a, a vacation with uh, some other folks. Uh, we did a tour of the bay. So, you know, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, that was a lot of fun. Toured the Blackhawk. Did a few days in wine country, which is where I found that Ferrari. Believe it or not, that Ferrari in a field was in Napa Valley. Believe it or not. <laughs> uh, tried to do some whale watching. It turned into uh, whale waiting because they never actually showed up. So that was fairly uh, frustrating. And then obviously worked the RM Sotheby's auction. So if you were there in person, you saw me bid spotting each of the three nights and uh, tried to help out before and after the sale as well. So long days. Uh, the one day I really tried to capture... Uh, how it went was the day of Concorsio Italiano. I was on my feet for 16 hours, and I had an hour nap in between uh, the Concorsio Italiano and the RM Sotheby sale. So my feet were absolutely killing me for basically three days in a row. Uh, one video I did post that I've been getting a lot of feedback on, I did post uh, the Pebble Beach Concorde Elegance, but what's interesting about this is I took the docent tour. So this would be where an expert walks you through the field, and I just filmed the entire thing. So it's a way for you to experience the Concours without paying $425 or whatever the price was to get into it. And he was great. His name was Bruce. I wish I remembered his last name. He actually worked for Carroll Shelby back in the 60s when I believe he helped build their facility at the airport where they started making uh, the Shelby GT350s and AC Cobras. So be sure to check that out. He was a wonderful uh, docent tour. Uh, guide and I tried not to edit any of it. I don't think I did because he was actually really funny uh, when he was just kind of making sure we all stayed together and everything else like that. So that was a lot of fun. It's already had, I think, 18,000 views. People seem to really like it. 
All right, so let's get to the actual auctions. Now, this is not just RM Sotheby's. There will be a focus on RM Sotheby's, obviously, because I'm much more familiar with that. I do want to throw in some pictures here, so I'm going to try to do some multitasking. But first, this is a quote from Haggerty Insider. Now, I didn't, I'm not reading the entire article here, but there's uh, four points I thought were pretty interesting. The thousand foot view is that broad ripples in the overall, overall economy, rising interest rates, war in Ukraine, supply chain issues affecting retailers and new car production, and anything else you would like to throw into that bucket did not have any noticeable effect on sales during Monterey Car Week. The high end, which he identifies as over $1 million, and the extreme high end, over $5 million, seem particularly removed from these concerns given the rate at which they changed hands last week. Now, the so-called analog supercars, I love that phrase, including the Bugatti EB110, Porsche 959, Lamborghini Countach, and Ferrari F40 and F50 are the runaway winners here, and you'll get the numbers here shortly, with prices well exceeding both recent reported sales and expectations. The poster child for analog supercars and McLaren F1 was on hand and sold by Arm Sotheby's, but the sale was conducted private treaty style and not by public auction. So all we have at this point is a whisper number. And the whisper that I heard, did hear was, well, big. Now I consult with Arm Sotheby's. I will have to tell you they're extremely tight-lipped on these private sales, uh, sealed bid sales, unless the seller and the buyer I want it to be known what was paid for the car. The example there would be the Mercedes that sold for $142 million. Uh, if they don't, you'll probably never hear about it. I heard a couple whispers, but honestly, they were so far removed from being legit. I won't even mention them. All right, let's see the next part of this article. The generational shift we have talked about ad nauseum is finally here. If the above paragraph doesn't quite tell you that, I will. The We boomers, now I'm a Gen X, not a boomer are about to be eclipsed by Generation X in the marketplace, and the cars they want are those cars that made the noise, actually in this case, both figuratively and literally, in Monterey, but not the biggest dollar cars for those boomers still roll, which you'll hear that in a second when I review the top 10 cars that sold over the week. But it was clearly RM Sotheby's that championed the week with his domineering three nights of auctions, the stunning uh, let's see, the stunning, here we go, 2022 Pebble Beach winning Duesenberg S, I'm sorry, 1932 Duesenberg J Sports Tour restored at RM's, RM's restoration facility in Canada was the rather large cherry on top. So if you're watching on YouTube, I just put up a picture of the award-winning Duesenberg. Uh, stumbled quite a bit right there because I'm trying to do three things at once. All right, let's see. So I'm going to go into the auction house results here. Um, I'll give it for the six, five auction houses that had activity over the week and the weekend. It was a record-breaking weekend for the auction houses with $478 million worth of cars sold over the week, led by RM Sotheby's $239 million, which represented half of the cars sold over the entire weekend. 200 and 2015 was the closest previous year with $394 million in sales. Now, I did read an article that said if you actually adjusted that for inflation, 2015 actually sold more value worth of cars than 2022. Even though 2022 is a record, if you put apples to apples, 2015 still would have eclipsed it. 
Now, what happened in 2015 and 2016? I think it was September of 2015 is when the market peaked and then it went down quite a bit after that. So are we about to peak in a month? I don't know. We'll see here shortly. Now, there are $148 million cars on offer, and Arm Sotheby's had five cars who, whose estimates eclipsed $10 million. $112-plus million cars sold for $324 million. The average price of the 782 cars offered was about $592,000. Now, I'm going to get into some numbers here. Let's see. This is just overall for each of the auction houses. Now, I do consult with Arm Sotheby's. So I am a cheerleader for Arm Sotheby's because I do a great job. Uh, even if I wasn't, it's hard not to be impressed by how big their weekend was. It literally dwarfs all the other auction houses. Actually, like I said, it covered Arm Sotheby's sold more than the other four auction houses combined. All right. So like I said, total sales for RM was about $340 million. Gooding was number two with $105 million. Then you had Broad Arrow, their first auction ever. Uh, 55.3 million. Mecham was at 52 million. Bonhams came in at the end just under 28 million dollars. Now, when you look at the lots offer uh, and the percent sold, again, RM was number one, almost 95% of the cars sold, which is really insane. Based on what I've seen in my limited time in the auction world, anything over like 85% is considered good, anything over 90% is considered great, hitting 95%. Anything over 90% is great. Anything over 95% or near there is just unbelievable. Uh, let's see, Gooding had 84.9% sell-through rate. Broad Arrow, 87.8%. Mecham, this was surprising. They only had 64.5%, which I think spoke more towards the quality and the price point, because they had a lot of stuff like motorcycles and odds and ends and some barn finds. Then it really seemed to resonate with the folks over the weekend. Bonhams had 88.5% uh, percent sold. And for all five auction houses across the board, that's just over 1,000 cars sold. I'm sorry, just over 1,000 cars offered, 810 sold. And that's a 78.5% uh, sell-through rate. Now, when you look at the top 10 cars, uh, the top, the most expensive cars, I guess, the top 10, RM had nine of the 10 and Gooding had one. And then when you look at the average price per car, this really shows you the difference in dollar price point based on the different auction houses. Coming in last was Mecham. Uh, their average car cost $177,000. Uh, let's see, second to last was Bonham's, $226,000. And then we have a big jump to Broad Arrow. Average price of their car was $700,000. And then Gooding, average price of their car was $778,000. And here's where it's really nuts. Arm Sotheby's was number one. Average price almost double Gooding's, $1.3 million per car. All right. So let me go into the top. Let's see if I can do this here. The top sales from each auction house. So if you're watching me online, I'll throw up a picture of each of these cars if I can. So from Arm Sotheby's, hey, I got that right. It was the 1955 Ferrari 410 Sports Spider. Uh, this thing sold for $22 million. It was really amazing to see this uh, sell in person in the auction. At some point as a bid spotter, I just stopped because I'm like, all right, nothing's happening in my section. Uh, you know, I'm almost going to just sit down here and enjoy 
uh, enjoy the rest of it. Now, I think I can say this. Hopefully, I won't get in trouble because it was very public. Um, the winning bidder on that was actually Dana Meekum, which is interesting. Big time Ferrari uh, collector, a big connoisseur of the brand. Uh, good guy from everything I've heard. He was there in the audience uh, bidding on this car. All right, let's see. Number two. Now, this was from Gooding. This is not the best picture of it, but it is a 1937 Bugatti Type 57SC. And this one sold for $10,345,000. Now, the third highest, I'm sorry, number one from uh, Broad Arrow was a 1957 Ferrari 250 GT, <clears throat> long wheelbase, Berlinetta, Scaglietti, Tour de France, TDF, Ferrari. Now, this is interesting because there was at least four, possibly four TDFs selling over the weekend, and I think this was the highest price off the top of my head. Now, Meekum's top sale was a 1958 Ferrari GT TDF, again, another Tour de France, and this one sold for almost 2.9 million. So you had, looks like the top sold for 5.5 at Broad Arrow. Meekum's must not have been as purebred or as Concor, it still looks nice if you're looking at the pictures online. Sold for 2.9 million. And then Bonhams, I don't think I pulled up a picture of this one. Their top seller was a 1955 Ferrari 250 Europa GT Coupe for about $2.1 million. So those are the top five from, or the top seller from each of the five auction houses over the weekend. All right, now let's see. Another article I like to quote is from Hannah Elliott. Let's see. R.M. Sotheby's flagship auction grossed an astonishing $239 million in total sales over the company's record-breaking three-night auction with an incredible 95% sold of all lots. We know that. After the historic sale, R.M. Auto Restoration's R.M. Sotheby's in-house restoration shop won Best of Show for an unprecedented seventh time, setting yet another record for most wins at the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance for any restoration shop. That's very interesting. So that, again, is for that 1932 Duesenberg. Let's see if I can get a picture up here. Yeah, there we go. All right, uh, let's see, Gooding and Company. Let's see, I covered most of this already. Let's see. All right, all told, Gooding and Company and Arm Sotheby's posted all of the top 10 sales between them, leaving Bonhams, Meekum, and Haggerty-owned Broad Arrow to fight for the scraps. Six of the top 10 sellers were Ferraris, which still set the blue chip standard for collectible cars in the modern era. Their values have ridden, risen reliably for decades. Now, nothing newer than 1966 was in the top 10, making up $96 million in sales. So that speaks to the boomers still having the biggest wallets when it comes to the auctions at Monterey versus the Gen Xers. So the top 10, Number one, as I said, is the uh, $22 million Ferrari from RM Sotheby's. Number two was the Bugatti from Gooding. Number three, I'll pull up a picture here. Let's see. Number three, if I can find it. All right. There it is. All right. So number three, it is the 1937 Mercedes-Benz 540K. Uh, Roadster, that one sold about $10 million. That was really cool. That was on a Thursday night. So selling a $10 million car on a Thursday is tough. And we actually sold two of them. The 1924 Hispanos Sueza, 
let's see, tulip wood. Here's a picture of it if you're online. This one sold for just about nine million dollars, a little bit over nine million dollars. Absolutely beautiful, stunning, incredible car. Let's see, number five was the 1957 Ferrari 500RC Spider. Uh, let's see, then we had a 1966 Ferrari 275 GTBC Coupe for $8 million. Anyways, a lot of Ferraris. Number nine was a 1938 Tablet Lago Teardrop Coupe for $7 million. A lot of, obviously, high-priced metal trading hands in Monterey. All right, now here's a recap from RM Sotheby's. Thursday night's auction brought over $41 million with the 1937 Mercedes-Benz 540K Special Roadster being the highest seller. Friday night's auction brought in nearly $75 million with the TRC Spider uh, being the night's highest seller at $7.8 million. And Saturday night auction brought in $123 million with the 1955 Ferrari 10 Sports Spider being the highest seller, obviously, at $20 million, $22 million. All right, something else that was very interesting is there were some record-breaking results over the weekend across the auction houses. Let's see, Gooding's Twin Cam MGA sold for 46% more than any other road-going MGA. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. All right, RM Sotheby's, we had a Porsche 928 GTS that sold for double the previous record. Let me see if I can find that one for us. Let's see, here it is. So this one was really fascinating. I forgot the final sales price. I think I say it a little bit later here. Uh, yes, all right, so the estimate was 225 to 275 and it sold for 406,500. That is really nuts. Uh, so that was a record price. And uh, I'll, I'll have another comment here in a minute about the 928s. Let's see. Uh, let's see, RM Sotheby's, see if I get this right, here we go. The Sally Special, this was very cool, like I said, I, I did a video on this. This one was unbelievable in, in, uh, in the auction. So you can look at the video, but I'll tell you right now, my experience is I thought this would sell, it's a one-of-one one Porsche, absolutely stunning, custom wheels, a lot of custom stuff to it to reflect its involvement with the Cars movie, I thought it would sell for $1.2 million. Now, I was the highest of everyone I spoke to. I quizzed a lot of the RM Sotheby's folks, you know, eight or nine of them. It was anywhere from 500 grand to 880. I think there was one $1 million one in there. And I was outside taking some pictures of this beautiful car. And two of the folks from Porsche were there, as well as Jay Ward, who was very integral in the Cars movie. And I asked him, and he said six to seven hundred thousand dollars. And the Porsche folks kind of nodded. I said my number was one point two, and Jay just said we would be over the moon if that indeed happened. Well, watch the video. I won't give it away. It went for significantly more than one point two million dollars, and it was electric in the room. It was so cool and exciting. That's one of the reasons you go to these live auctions. It's something that you can't just capture in an online auction. All right. Broad Arrow's Carmen Ghia set a record at $106,000, $40,000 more than the very that very car brought just six months ago. So it was flipped, and they made 40 grand more. That's that's crazy. And then uh, Ferrari F40s were set records were set twice in 24 hours. So I'll get into that in one moment. So some of the stuff I wanted to review. Uh, 
from RM Sotheby's. The big point is the big cars performed. All of the million dollar cars, I think there was one exception, an Alfa Romeo for $4 million that did not sell. And if you don't know how auctions work, if it doesn't sell on the block, they try to sell it immediately to the highest bidder. They work hard for the next two weeks. I don't believe that one has sold, at least at the time of this recording. So there's still a $4 million car that did not sell, but the number of cars that did sell, I mean, we had, I think, 12 Mercedes 540Ks and each one of those, the cheap one was a million dollars. It was unbelievable to get all of those sold. So um, everything sold really strong, that RM. Let's see, some of the big surprises. Now, these are cars that went wild in good ways as well as bad ways. Now, I wanna pull a picture up of this one because this one was pretty cool. Let's see if I can grab it here real quick. This is a 1936 twin coach helms bakery delivery truck now really cool truck these kinds of quirky cute automobiles do really well at auctions especially the high-end auctions because it's like you know two or three hundred grand is like pocket change to some folks not me but to some folks and so this one the estimate was 90 to 110 thousand dollars which to me that's all the money in the world and it sold for almost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars so I'm thinking it's probably, it was probably bought by someone for their business. Now, something else that was surprising is there was a 1965 Sunbeam Tiger Works Rally car that the estimate was 150 to 180, and this one sold for only 90 grand. So I don't know what's going on with these, uh, these Tigers. There was one last year that sold for about the same. It wasn't a... Uh, rally car. So the fact that this one was is really cool and really special. So um, that was surprising. That's like the fourth Tiger I've seen that has sold soft. So I don't know what's gone on in the Tiger world. You would think with the relationship to Shelby that, you know, that would actually bring the prices up, not down. I mean, it's got a little 289 or 260 Ford V8 engine in it. So that was surprising. And then another one, I've, I've actually called this one out of, twice in this. I, let's see, a 1950, 1995 Ferrari F512M. The estimate was 475 to 550. It's sold for almost 800 grand. So I think this speaks to the analog supercar era and the Gen X era. Um, you'll see here shortly um, all those cars, especially the Ferraris, uh, they went kind of nuts. All right, so race cars, those were actually a mixed bag in my mind. Uh, we had like this 1959 Blair Offy Sprint car, sell underestimate, estimate was 175 to 275, sold for 70 grand. We had a 1955 Curtis Craft Midget, estimate 65 to 75, it sold for 40 grand. These were just stunning, beautiful little race cars. Uh, the Jeff Gordon NASCAR Chevy Monte Carlo, 2000 Let's see, 2004 estimate was 150 to 200. It sold for 100 grand, and that one kind of blew me away. Uh, and then a 1979 Ferrari 512 BBLM silhouette estimate was 2.8 to 3.2. It was a no sale, so it had me wondering about these race cars. Now we did sell a rare Porsche RSK. Uh, we had a really cool unrestored Lancia that was pretty rough shape. It was as race condition. It sold for mid estimate, so that was strong. And then we had Michael Schumacher's Ferrari Formula One car, 1998 F300. Now that set the record as the fourth most expensive Formula One car ever sold 
and that went up to $6.2 million. I thought that would have gone higher. Uh, it hit low estimate. I thought that would have been closer to the high estimate around $8 million or so. And then, like I said before, some of the cheap stuff or the lower price stuff um, can really sell for expensive money. So we have a 19, let's see, 19, oh, it doesn't even have a year, but it's, it's basically an, a Ferrari F40 kids car. The estimate on this car was 30 to 40 grand and it sold for 81 grand. It actually sold for more than some of those legit race cars, which is kind of nuts. Another trend I'm kind of curious about and Haggerty re referenced it in one of their articles, uh, have JDM cars peaked? So Japanese domestic market cars, those are the Skylines, um, the ones that have the right-hand drive, have those peaked? We actually had three of those. Uh, one of them was a full-on factory race car and the estimate was 500 to 550. It sold for 280. Now in defense, I think that estimate was uh, op very optimistic. I reached out to one of my previous podcast guests, uh, Sean Morris, who imports JDM cars. He really knows his stuff. And I wanna say I asked him what he thought it would sell for and he was kind of in the 350 range. So I, I think the estimate on that was really strong. And again, that speaks to the race car aspect of it. Uh, then we had two GTRs. Uh, one of them sold for low estimate and the third one I think was a little bit under low estimate. Now last year we had one of these JDM GTRs last year that overachieved a high estimate by like $100,000. That's why I'm kind of wondering. Last year it, it was overachieving by a great length. These estimates were in line to last year and yet they hit low estimate. So I'm not quite sure what's going on with the JDM world. I wonder if the fact that they're right-hand drive, eventually the novelty of that wears off and people just don't want them, <laughs> but they're super cool. I mean, I would love to have one. All right, and then I mentioned the Porsche 928 that sold for a record price twice the previous record price. There was actually one we had in our auction that sold significantly under estimate. Uh, the estimate was 150 to $250,000 and it sold for $100,000. What was interesting about this, if you just took it as is, that was a strong price because I believe it had a rebuilt engine. You know, the original engine had like 100,000 miles on it, but it's an ex George Harrison car from the Beatles. So what does, you know, celebrity ownership uh, tie to the car? A little bit in this case, I don't think as much as everybody thought. So that could also speak to the boomer generation uh, transitioning to Gen X. I don't think Gen X cares as much about the Beatles even Steve McQueen, um, any of those guys from the 60s as the boomers, and that might be reflected a little bit in this uh, 928. All right, the last thing I wanted to mention, uh, let's see. Oh, you know what? I need to pull this picture up. This is one of my favorite cars from the sale. It is, let's see if I can get it up here so I can read what it is. All right, here we go. A 1952 Lancia Aurelia B53 wagon, Woody wagon. So if you're listening to this audio only, go to Arm Sotheby's and look at the Lancia wagon we sold at Monterey. I was in love with this thing. I'm not a wagon guy. I used to not be a dark green guy, but until I had my 66 Mustang and Ivy green. And so this is, you know, Italian, it's a wagon, it's a woody, it's dark green, it's right-hand drive. It has a wooden rack on, luggage rack on top with old wooden, skis um i just fell in love it has an outdoor 
uh, hinge for the rear door. The doors are suicide. I just thought this was the coolest thing in the world. And it sold for about 100 grand over high estimate, which made me feel actually kind of good knowing that uh, whoever bought it and spent that much on it is going to uh, hopefully really appreciate it, take great care of it. Oh, and it's a V8. Uh, I mean, just super, super cool wagon. I can't believe I'm saying those words. Um, there are other cool wagons out there for sure, but I never thought I would like a car as much as I like this one. All right, the last point I wanted to make about the weekend is that the exotic cars sold very strong. Um, again, the Ferraris, uh, but it was surprising on a couple fronts. So let's see here. New records were set for a 288 GTO, an F40, F50, and an Enzo over the auction weekend. So the 288 GTO, we sold that, RM Sotheby's, for $4.4 million. This is what was shocking. The F40s, Gooding sold one for three, or RM Sotheby sold one for $3.9 million, which was a record at that time. And Gooding sold one for $3.97 million, almost $4 million for an F40. I had a friend of mine, he was thinking about buying one. At the time, they were trading for 1.1 to 1.3. He didn't want to go over 990 for some reason. <laughs> and now I bet he would love to have one for 1.3, 1.4. I mean, are those really $3 million cars every day? 3.5 and the good ones, $4 million? I guess we'll, we'll find out. Arm Sotheby's has a sale coming up in Miami in December. And I saw that we've got an F40 there, I believe, with 2,000 miles on it. So that would be a good bellwether to see if this is indeed legit. Now, Gooding sold an F50 for $4.6 million. Uh, Broad Arrow sold theirs for $5.2 million. Now, those are much rarer than the F40. I think the F40 was something like 1,400 cars built. The F50 was like 349 cars. Uh, the Enzo Gooding sold one for $4.13 million, another record. And then, like I said, that F512 I mentioned earlier, uh, we sold that for seven eighty, which I'm pretty sure is a record, but I don't have that confirmed. Oh, yeah, I meant to show some pictures here. Darn it. All right, so we do have the F40. Uh, let's see, then the 288 GTO. So, uh, But it wasn't limited to just Ferraris. Actually, before I get to that, there are some more Ferraris I have to talk about. Meekum, for some reason, sold all of the prototype cars. I don't quite understand why they, uh, Ferrari sold the prototype cars through them, but... They had four. I guess the key part here is that they were sold on bill of sale only, so you weren't able to drive these on the street. A 2014 Ferrari F12 TDF prototype, Tour de France prototype, sold for 660. 2011 Ferrari LaFerrari prototype, sold for 715. 2012 LaFerrari prototype, sold for 1.6. And then the most expensive one was a 2014 LaFerrari prototype, sold for 12.5. Makes me wonder if the same person bought all three of those, because that would be cool, seeing those three prototypes from three different years lined up in a row. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Uh, let's see, some other notable uh, exotics that sold. Uh, there was a Ferrari Dino that sold. Okay, this was, this was. I guess I'd have to, I don't want to say sad. That doesn't sound right. But when I was bid spotting, I had two folks opposite sides of the aisle one towards the back, one towards the front of where I was, which is the back third of the section. Uh, they both told me, you know, when they got there, I'm only here for one car. And both of them were here for the Dino. Now, what, what was really interesting is they were both here for completely different reasons. The guy on my left, who was towards the back, he was just going to pick it up if it was a deal. So he was, 
He wanted to get it if it was cheap. The guy on the right, he wanted it because he had one 40 years ago and his was a dark blue with chairs and flares options. And he just wanted to have the car again. He just, his wife was there, you know, they were all excited. And I'm like, all right, I hope you get the car. Um, I wasn't worried about the low baller, obviously, because this other guy was ready to spend the money. And the car we had was absolutely fantastic. It wasn't blue, but it was red and it was chairs and flares, which means you have the Daytona seats and you have the extra metal on the, on the uh, wheel wells where it has like a flared look to it. And I felt bad for the guy that was trying to buy it because our estimate was 550 to 650. Good estimate, right on. And this thing sold for $802,000. <laughs> so the guy was right there. I was bidding with him. The low baller was out after the first bid. Uh, I was there with this guy who was trying to get it to enjoy it. Uh, he went up to, I think, 725, something like that. There was only one or two bids afterwards that got the car sold and he bowed out about 725. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to help him find one. If you know of anyone that has a blue Dino with tan interior and chairs and flares, please shoot me a note. Cause you know, we can do a private sale. I, you know, he's not gonna pay something crazy, crazy, but he will pay really good money for it. And it's to uh, relive the old memories of his time with the car. So it doesn't have to be blue. Actually, the colors don't matter. Chairs and flares is important. So if you know of something like that, I would love to help this guy uh, put that car back in his garage. All right, the other notable, let's see, uh, notable cars. Let's, we had a 1988 Ferrari Testarossa, oversold by 75 grand, hit $302,000. Uh, all right, non-Ferraris. We have two I wanted to mention. Actually, here's a picture of one of them. The 1984. Lamborghini Countach. Now this is one, I was right next to another guy. This one, the estimate was 700 to 900 and it sold for just over a million dollars. And the guy that lost out, he said, hey, I am trying to find a white on white Countach pre-1987. So if you're one of the folks that has one of those and would like to sell it, again, please shoot me a note. Uh, Greg, or G Stanley at rmsothebees.com. Those of you who have listened to me for a while know that the first exotic car I ever saw in person uh, was at the Racket Power off State Road 13 in Jacksonville, Florida in the parking lot. And it was a 1983 white Countach. I believe it had red interior. So I have a special uh, affinity for these Countaches. Even though I know they drive like grain trucks as one of my collector, one of my clients who has one will tell me quickly all right, the other car I wanted to mention is a 1993 Jaguar XJ220. Uh, this one we had an estimate of 450 to 550. It sold for 566. It was really cool because it was maroon in color with tan interior. And it's interesting. I like the look of those cars. I know that they had a bad rap, not a bad rap, but they weren't as promised. They weren't the V12, they were a six, a lot of different things. They're called the XJ220 which means it's supposed to go 220 miles an hour. It can only hit 217, I say only. Anyways, but what I'm finding as I talk to folks about analog supercars, folks really like those Jaguars, mostly because it's the pinnacle of Jaguar performance. Uh, but then also when you go to these cruisins and you see Lamborghini after Lamborghini or Ferrari after Ferrari, you rarely ever see someone show up in a Jaguar supercar. So it's that exclusivity, that rarity 
uh, that seems to be driving up the XJ220 prices right now. And I honestly, I don't think those will go down anytime soon. All right, that's it for my Monterey Car Week review. Be sure to check me out everywhere that I mentioned earlier. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching and sharing the Collector Car Podcast with your auto enthusiast friends. I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.